Hi guys, this is Laura, and welcome back to Let's Chat Healthcare. Hi, Carcel. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for, you know, picking me as an occupational therapist to interview. Yeah. So but I'm excited to talk to you because you work with peds, right? With children? Yeah, kind of yeah I do. On the like geriatric that's side, pretty but- much my bread and butter. Even if I'm not <laughs> considered, you know, like an expert, I, I have worked in peds, um, you know, even before I was in occupational therapy. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to hear the difference between like what an occupational therapist does who works with adults versus one that works with kids. So can you just kind of give a quick summary of like occupational therapy in general and like what your purpose is as an occupational therapist? Um, So I know that for a lot of people, occupational therapy is like a new thing and um, Mm -hmm. it's not as clear cut um, at first, but it's actually super simple. So in occupational therapy, we're working on basically function and really meaningful um, occupations or activities of daily living. So we can go as basic as, you know, working on self-care, being able to bathe myself or feed myself with utensils, um, you know, completing toileting on my own, being able to, um, what else? And there's so many things that we work on in OT, like brushing my teeth, the things that we we don't think about because we know how to do these things on our own. Like we don't need most of the time when we're fully functioning, we don't need an extra person to assist us. Um, So that's where occupational therapists come in. Um, But we're not only working on self-care, we're also working on um, things that, uh, activities that occur in the community or within our family. So, you know, like we can also work on um, higher functioning activities, like being able to take the bus or driving rehabilitation. Mm. It's not something uh, that I can really, um, you know, hone in on. Yeah. And and focus on like specific activities because Mm -hmm. we can work on so many different things, um, which is awesome. Um, But that's where it starts to get a little bit confusing to people. Um, Because I know a lot of people are like, oh, like, are you going to help me find a job? And yeah, that could be my role. I could help you with um, you know, putting together your resume or your cover letter, typing things out. Um, but it's really all about like those um, important activities that um, you once were able to do, but you couldn't anymore because of a certain deficit. Something happened to you, you got into a car accident, you experienced a stroke. Um, but um, for pediatrics, it's it's a whole nother world um, because, yeah, yeah you're working with a, a younger population that maybe hasn't gotten the chance to, you know, um, experience what it was like to do all those activities because we're fresh out. We're a newborn or or we're we're just barely um, starting to learn how to do these things on our own. That's I feel like that's interesting because I talked to I talked to the occupational therapist before and he talked about how oh he helped someone who was a carpenter get back to being able to stand up to be a carpenter but mm-hmm. I think it's, it's interesting coming from the pediatric side because this will be their first time doing things yeah exactly like I know that you know we focus on rehabilitation but in pediatrics it's like it's about re or it's, it's not about reintroducing reintroducing introducing it's about 
um, introducing those activities or habilitation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of give an example of what types of patients you work with? Like what, what would like a parent bring their child to you to help them with? Yeah, so that that is a very good question. I see it's a very so broad many- question. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. There there are like a variety of reasons why the kids come in for OT. So, um, I I feel like a good chunk of my kids are are feeding kids. So they're kids that, um, you know, like they're they're one years old you know, they're newborn, they're not able to um, drink from a bottle yet um, appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, those that's a big chunk of the kids that I work with. Um, we focus on being able to appropriately chew food, mm-hmm. drink from an age-appropriate um, cup or vessel. Um, we also train parents on, you know, introducing these different types of food textures gradually. Um, but I don't only see um, feeding kiddos. I also see the kids that, you know, need to be able to care for themselves. So um, I don't work on potty training. That's not something that I do. Um, but we do work on peri care, like wiping, um, you know, introducing that sort of task, washing our face, um, uh, what else do I do? Oh, it's so it's so crazy because we we work on so many things. Um, <laughs> but the the nice thing is that we also don't focus on just self care. We're also um, focusing on activities uh, that involve you know like preparatory activities before I go to school kind of thing. Oh, okay. Like kids are um, in early intervention, which is something that I was. Um, involved in. Um, They focus on um, child development uh, between ages zero, so newborn up until three years old. Um, So I am not just focusing on self-care. I'm focusing on the activities that they might need to be able to do before they transition into the school district. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're, you know, talking about uh, fine motor development, gross motor development. So we might be working on um, being able to tolerate um, working with glue, being able to squeeze the glue bottle, um, having appropriate strength to color on a page. That sounds so precious. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's honestly like my favorite part of pediatrics because I feel like in the adult world, yeah, we could be working on this stuff, but these kids are fresh out and, mm-hmm. and they're like learning and they're exploring the different tools that they're going to be using when they're much older. Um, so sometimes it's, it's a very scary thing for them, but once they're done with OT, they get discharged, they're ready to go to school. Um, you know, like these are the things that were helping them understand that, hey, you have to use these things, even if it's a little bit weird to use glue or it's weird <laughs> to use crayons or markers. Um, but they they eventually get really excited about it. So that's that's kind of why I love pediatrics. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing to help them with that. So I'm kind of thinking that with the things that you talked about that you help kids with. I feel like any kid could come see you. So how do you like specify who needs to see an occupational therapist and who doesn't? Do you usually work with kids that are more developmentally delayed or like what causes someone to recommend going to see you? 
Oh, that, that's a really good question. Sometimes it's more clear cut. So um, I feel like maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the early intervention side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, if it's okay, like I'll, I'll go into like outpatient clinic setting. Yes, go ahead. This is fascinating. I'm already having a great time. <laughs> yeah, good, good. I'm glad. Um, so uh Earlier, I was talking a little bit about early intervention where we're working with um, kids zero to um, three years old, right? So um, there is something called regional center and regional center basically um, offers services and it depends on where you're from. So I've worked for like the San Gabriel Pomona Regional Center um, and East Los Angeles Regional Center. Um, So um, they have different criteria. So um, you have to be at like the one third delay. So that's going to okay. be different for each child. Um, some uh, regional centers like uh, are more lenient um, and it really depends. But because it's a fully funded um like state-funded service in order to get uh, occupational therapy, child development services, or I think it's called um, infant stimulation or infant education program. Um, And then you get speech therapy too, so or physical therapy in addition to that. So you get a whole team of people um, in case you are developmentally delayed not all of my kids have been severely delayed. Some of them like are just catching up um, and maybe they're like a few months or um, like maybe six months behind. And that still calls for intervention. So basically a therapist goes in, a speech therapist, um, physical therapist or an occupational therapist comes into the home or it could be in a clinic. Um, And they basically assess your child. They do a variety of assessments to determine, um, you know, are you age appropriate in your gross motor skills, um, your fine motor skills, um, your adaptive skills? So um, are you able to... I just wanted to intervene and talk about like what it means to be age appropriate. Because, Yeah. yeah, so like it means at 12 months, like for example, we kind of expect them to start walking and then mm-hmm. kind of things like that. So if they, they're they not close to walking at 12 months, then that means that maybe they're not age appropriate yet. So sorry, I just wanted exactly. to Exactly. Yeah, that is, th- that's exactly what I mean. Um, so uh, it, like in addition to that, it, like if we're talking about adaptive skills, you know, like um, is your child able to sip from a cup at 12 mm-hmm. months old while mom is holding onto the cup? Um, and so like you kind of like have like a list of things that are supposed to be age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not meeting certain criteria, you know, based on their scores, um, they get occupational therapy or they get physical therapy. That explains it perfectly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know I lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's and like, it's only because there's just so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, but basically in early intervention, you either get seen like one time out of the month, two, um, one time out of the week or um, two times if it's, um, you know, 
very severe that you're you're so behind that we want to play catch up. The nice thing is that you have like this whole team and when you have a really good team and most of the time like I feel like I've been able to contact a physical therapist or speech therapist or um, infant education specialist and um, we basically talk about all the things that you know we're working on so that the PT and the speech therapist can also address those things too. That sounds like an amazing form of support. Just kind of, we talked about this with the other occupational therapists I talked to, but kind of how occupational therapy really looks at the patient holistically and what are they going to need to give them like a good quality of life. So I think that's really yeah. awesome. Yeah, exactly. I I think that's that's kind of why it's, it's such a an important mm-hmm. therapy. Um, and, and also like we're talking about like, you know, holistic rehabilitation, things like that. And and in peds, I do feel like we deal with parents who they're they're so devastated to hear that, you know, something something was wrong with their child and um and we're basically there to kind of guide them to understand how to manage certain conditions or how to teach their child to do certain things. So it's not that we are the most important people in like their child's life, but actually like, mom, you are the most important person and I'm going to teach you how to do these things. So you're not going to need me after you leave inpatient or you're not going to need me for long after outpatient services, um, you know, have been discharged. That's really awesome. And like you're saying there, I think that occupational therapy is really cool because it helps the patient beyond the hospital setting. Like Mm -hmm. this is what you're going to do after you go home. And I think that's a really big gap in medical care, I think, right now is making a transition from the hospital to being at home. So I think you guys are really awesome for focusing on that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm glad. I I know that there's a lot of... um, you know, like miscommunication and like what OT is or, Mm -hmm. you know, we always get mixed up with different types of therapies. And I think it kind of feels like sometimes like the role gets diminished, but actually like, you know, we are an important piece in patient care, but so is nursing and um, Mm -hmm. so is physical therapy and speech therapy, lactation consulting. So it's, it's kind of awesome like being able to talk about this with a different professional. Yeah. Um, yeah. It <laughs> I makes just think it it's so easier. interesting because um, as a nurse, I mean, obviously I work with occupational therapists and mm-hmm. I've seen them before and talked to them, but I never had a really great understanding of what they did until talking to people like you. So it's just crazy how many aspects there are of care and how many different things go into taking care of a patient and not all the parts are aware of what the other parts are doing. So I think it's important to just have these conversations and talk about, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is why this is important. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) So we kind of talked about how you help infants, like with the suckling or um, just like feeding. Um, We talked about how you help like more developmentally delayed patients. Mm -hmm. I was seeing that occupational therapy really works with mental health patients a lot. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Can you kind of talk about like things that you do for mental health patients? Yeah. So I feel like um, mental health um, is like a huge piece in occupational therapy. It's actually like where our roots are from. 
sometimes it gets lost and, you know, like where we're working on self-care and, and then it almost becomes like this biomechanical thing. Like, are you able to Mm -hmm. use your hands? Like, I'm not just that person that helps you use your hand, or I'm not just that person who helps you chew. I'm also that person who is like your cheerleader. Like we do work on a lot of, you know, like mental health, like strategies. And so, and there's a lot that goes on in that. And it's really like a case by case thing. Yeah. Um, So if I start rambling, I'm I'm so sorry. But my like particular role, like I, I work on um, mental health within the scope of like understanding how, how does your um, mood disorder, how, how does like your lack of motivation prevent you from doing the things that you need to do, like, Mm -hmm. um, for example, like feeding. So, um, we don't just work on like oral motor or, um, fine motor skills in order to like safely eat. Um, I work with a lot of kids who have experienced like, um, really, really significant trauma. So, um, you know, like I do work with a lot of foster children who, you know, experience like abuse and neglect, Um, and they've only been exposed to like one type of texture or there are, um, like a a lot of children that I've worked with who were only exposed to purees. They, they, they've only been exposed to purees. And I know that purees are like, they're, they're safe for like our infants who are like, you know, between like, like, like five to six months, like when we're ready to sit up, um, we're showing those skills. Um, then we start exposing them to solids, right? But there are kids who are like seven years old and they're not eating solids yet. Oh, wow. You know, a lot of what we do in OT um, is like preparing them to be able to tolerate, you know, exposure to that new thing. And that's very overwhelming. Um, a lot of our kids are are very confused at like the sight of new food. They start to, um, you know, withdraw from family um, activities like mealtime. They don't want to participate in um, household activities like parties. They um, start refusing bathing, things like that, or just like in general, I don't want to interact with my mom and dad. And it doesn't have to be like a child who was neglected to experience that type of like trauma or like aversion to food. Like basically when we look at that, we we work on play. Like when there is something, there's some um, mental health deficit, there's like experience with like withdrawing or um um, our kids are um, very aggressive because they're protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work on um, social participation. So pre-COVID, uh, <laughs> we were able to get our kids to um, come together. We'll have like a group of three or four kids. And um, some of them might have ADHD. Some of them might have opposite oppositional defiance um, disorder. So a lot of um, a lot of kids like have these different conditions like mood disorders and uh, like we'll, we'll bring those kids together uh, and and we'll work on a cooking group. Um, so we'll be like making like teriyaki chicken with mushrooms and vegetables. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I don't eat these things at home. But because, you know, it's not just like my mom and dad telling me like, hey, like, 
like put this in your mouth or Mm -hmm. like, hey, I put this on your plate, you better eat it. And not that every parent does it, but they feel like that's what their Mm -hmm. parent is saying. So you put a bunch of kids together who have like different conditions or, you know, preference and how they want to interact with others. And then they start opening up and they're like, oh, like, Oh, it's really fun that, you know, like I'm throwing broccoli in there and all of a sudden they start forgetting that they, they hated that color. I hate green, you know, like I hate the, the bushy part of the broccoli or like chicken is, is gross. I don't like the way it smells. All of a sudden they start to hear their peers say, Oh, that, that kind of smells good. It smells like, you know, like the pie that my grandma made. And then all of a sudden, you know, so-and-so starts to wonder like, oh, like, I wonder what pie tastes like, you know, or like, (laughs) I wonder if the mushroom tastes like steak because I like steak, you know, like, and it's so funny because like, we're not like, literally asking the child like oh how does it make you feel when you put it in your mouth you know what I mean like um, and it it, like sometimes that that is more dysregulating to the child they're like I don't want to tell you how I feel like I hate everything it's just the matter of doing so Mm -hmm. doing things helps the child understand that interacting with other children is very important to me because it makes me feel good. And I'm able to open up to um, this group of kids, or I'm able to open up to my therapist now because I'm seeing that other children are doing the same activity as me. And I get to talk about my experience. So other occupational therapists, I can't speak for them because we all do different things in mental health. But my, like, I feel like my specific role in mental health was always like, how do I make my role in mental health was about making the child do something so that they feel confident in, um, like participating in that specific activity or like they're they're able to like engage with other kids, um, and they feel good about it. And then they're motivated to continue on with, participating in that particular activity. Um, And then they can explore other things with different peers because they're not alone. They're able to see that other kids are working on the same things. Um, So sometimes kind of that like positive social pressure. Exactly. Exactly. And, and some kids don't, they don't respond well to that. And, and then that's when we change it up a little bit. I don't know if I'm, I'm talking too much about that. No, no. Yeah, there was a, there are a few kids that have issues with uh, understanding like how important hygiene is, mm. and that's that's a big piece. I I know that like with adults, it seems like it's a little easier to understand because like when we're depressed, like I don't think about going into the shower. I think about sulking and laying in bed. Um, and with a child, bad food and <laughs> eating bad food. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like your, your child kind of goes through that same experience too, which is very frustrating. Um, because like a lot of parents are like, why can't you just shower? Like, you know how to do this. You're <laughs> perfectly capable to hop in and you don't want to go into the shower or you don't want to wipe yourself after you use the restroom. And um, a lot of things 
um, you know, affect a child when that comes into play. So sometimes I'm not working on groups like with those specific um, kiddos who have difficulty with that because they're already so like averse to like talking to other children about like, oh, like that I am unable to do something, you know, like that's embarrassing. I can't do what an eight-year-old can do, but like I'll have them one-on-one. And then that's when we start talking about like, why is it important to shower? <laughs> um, and I know that that seems like it, it's a little, um, it, it doesn't sound like mental health to some people, um, but it totally is like, you can convince a child that it's it's very very um relaxing to go into the shower like maybe we'll make a bath bomb together for a session and then all of a sudden like you know they use that bath bomb and they're like oh miss Chriselle was right look i put it in the shower and then it makes bubbles and it turns different colors and um so it starts to become a more enjoyable experience it's, it's kind of like oh like I'm getting a bubble bath and <laughs> I'm like, it, it's another form of play, um, but I'm, I'm working in the shower. I know that that was like, not as like clear cut because every child is different, but like that, that's pretty much what my experience is in like um, mental health and, and motivating a child to participate in like self-care or feeding. I think that it's so beautiful that you guys not only work on those like physical barriers, but also like the psychological and mental barriers. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of thinking that you helping the kids with this also helps their relationships with their parents, I feel like, because you help the parents understand their child more and you help the child understand their parents more. So honestly, I feel like that's like, like in quotations, like a side effect of your work is like improving their relationship, like with their family members even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's so interesting that you talk about that because there is so much like tension between like our kids and mm -hmm. like the parents. I'm not a parent like myself, but sometimes I find myself like really like feeling for that parent because like you have like this expectation of what your child sh should be able to do, right? Like mm -hmm. you want them to do something as easy as washing your face and brushing your teeth, but they just won't do it. And why? Like, so then they just continuously ask like, can you please brush your teeth? jump in the shower, pick out your clothes. They're not ready before, you know, Zoom class starts at eight. And then, um, you know, this big fight happens. And then you have your child who's like, oh, my mom thinks I can't do anything. And then you have the parent who's like, oh, like they just don't want to listen to me. So you're, you're so mm -hmm. right that like in OT, like we're, we are working on like improving relationships, but like in the context of like, you know, convincing the child like, hey, you're able to do this on your own. And let me just give you all like the tools that you need to convince you like mm -hmm. you can, you can do it. And then there's not so much tension between mom and, and child because they're able to see that, hey, you know, like my child's able to do this on his own. I don't need to tell him what to do. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so th that's a huge piece in mental health. And I'm, I'm so happy that you brought that up. I know I was talking so much about what the therapist does with um, the child. And um, this is a huge piece in, in what makes um, like mental health uh, such a big thing in OT. Mm -hmm. And 
kind of talking about the parents. Um, but by the way, thank you so much for sharing all that. I, I think that it's really interesting. And even I think that it will be good for parents to hear to kind of be like, oh, like, this is a normal thing that my child is struggling with. It's okay. Like, and they'll be better for it. So I think it's really cool for you to just talk about your role because I think it might help parents like be more comfortable when like occupational therapy is suggested because I think it can be like a scary word and be like, why does my yeah. kid need therapy? You know, but yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if it's the same for like, if you get this impression as a nurse, but like for OT, like when I get referrals and I do an evaluation. Um, I get parents who tell me, hey, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm a bad parent. I don't want to feel like I didn't expose my child to something that they needed. And mm -hmm. so it, feel, it makes me feel bad. I get a very big group of parents, like a, more than a handful, like tell me, I don't know if I want to do this because I don't want to feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and like, I think about that and it, it does make me feel like, hey, I need to be a little more sensitive when I make recommendations and what to do because like, I'm not here to say like, hey, mom, you're doing it wrong. You know, like I'm mm -hmm. here to motivate mom and to convince her like, hey, like you have everything that you need in order to um, get your child to do the things that he or she needs to do. Um, maybe we just need to phrase it in a different way because um, the way that he um, is seeing your verbal cueing is like in a more negative light and that's not what you intend at all. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I do think that um, I lost my train of thought because I no, talked so okay. much. <laughs> um, but, you know, like when, when parents come in, I kind of want them to know that, hey, like I'm not this person. I'm not a shrink, you know, like <laughs> occupational therapy, like therapy sounds like, oh, like everything, like, like there's like a mental disturbance and yeah. culturally. And there's kind of still a negative association with it in our culture of, oh, yeah. I need therapy or my child needs therapy. I did something wrong, mm -hmm. like you said. Yeah. Like I would want every parent to think like, hey, like my child got referred for occupational therapy because he was behind in something. There, there was some sort of delay. This person's going to help me understand how to use the tools that I already have at home. She's going to respect, you know, my cultural beliefs and my perspective and what I want to do as a parent, um, what I expect myself to do as a parent um, in order to, you know, raise a child that's like fully like independent and and capable of doing things on mm -hmm. her own. Um, so like, it's not about like, hey, like your child has a delay and I'm here to tell you everything that you're doing wrong, but mm -hmm. let me just spice up what you do at home, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important for the parents to recognize that you have had education in the field. You've gone and got at least your master's. Like, you have been educated on these things and it's some formal education that the parents haven't necessarily had. So it's okay that you might know something that they don't about the situation. So Yeah, yeah. I know that, that it, it <laughs> does, it's very frustrating too. And I like, I would hate for anyone to think that like, hey, like I'm, 
I'm this child expert and I know everything. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes don't have the answers for everything, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm two and a half years in as an OT and I've been working with kids for five plus years, you know, like ever since before OT, but um, there are things that I don't know as like, like what your, your personal experience is to be a dad or a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do take those things into consideration, like as a practicing therapist. That's good. And that, that understanding goes both ways that they are the parent, they know their child really well. They have this mm-hmm. like parental, like, I don't know what the word is, like natural parent <laughs> natural ability yeah. to parent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you have the educational side. And when you guys come together, that could like create like a really beautiful thing and really help the child if you have both those sides coming together. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so kind of moving on from working with patients, well, not really moving on, kind of moving into um, some of the barriers in your work. Mm-hmm. I know that we talked about some barriers maybe between the families or with the patients, but I don't know. Can you talk about some things that are like harder in your work and how you like overcome those? Yeah. Um. So there are some things that like I feel like it, insurance, like coverage. Yeah. It's so funny because I ask all my people this question and Uh honestly the first answer is 90% of the time insurance (laughs) yeah yeah it's so funny because like I think and I'm not I'm not even going to mention which insurance uh companies (laughs) I'm you know referring to but like you know we have specific um goals that we have to address depending on what type of insurance a child has. And sometimes you'll get a child and you're like, oh, like I know that you need OT, but like you're not going to get any coverage for like, you know, mental health, like Mm -hmm. specifically mental health. Like there are some insurance like um, companies that like don't cover that. Like, um, and it goes to like other things like, and, and sometimes I do feel like you should be going to just your psychiatrist, your psychologist, and whoever like helps you out with counseling. Um, but you know, OT does work on mental health too. Like we can like address, you know, mood disorders and how that affects your ability to complete self-care or participate in school activities um, or even like be in a group of like peers like that is very debilitating. And like we are like the experts of um, of like function, like doing mm-hmm. things, like doing important activities Um, Yet, like, we don't get that piece sometimes depending on the type of coverage that the the child has. Um, So that's, like, kind of the frustrating part. Um, But, you know, like, as long as there's a way to kind of tie in, like, how does this affect self-care? If you do have this type of condition, like, let's say, like, ADHD or ODD, how do I phrase my goals. So goal writing is a huge like piece in like how I 
like prevent like issues and um, mm. you know author authorizing therapy, right? So instead of you know kind of phrasing it as like, hey, you know, mom wants to work on um, appropriate uh, interaction with other peers, which won't get covered. Um, I mean, speaking for the the um, types of um, cases that I work with and their type of coverage, that type of goal would not fly. Um, but if you're looking into like, hey, um, I'm going to appropriate or this child is going to appropriately, um, you know, like uh, complete self-care with mm you know, appropriate regulation, um, to address his aggression, um, then like, then I'll be able to authorize or, or get authorization for therapy, like insurance so companies. Kind of just will, like rewording okay. it and making yeah. it sound more yeah. and official. Exactly. And like, what's annoying is like, hey, not everything is about self-care. They're completely like high functioning kiddos who like, they can brush their teeth. They can get ready for school and, and things like that and dress themselves. It's not all about like, hey, like I'm going to like give you therapy for six months so that you can button your shirt. Um, mm. But sometimes it does feel like, oh, like this is like all I can phrase in a goal. But the beautiful thing is that like, hey, it could be working on self-care, but also we could be, you know, doing a little group. I mean, yeah. pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic. Um, self-care, can, self-care can mean a lot of things. It's pretty yeah. general. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like the most like annoying like barrier, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also like, you know, um, issues with, uh, I guess, sometimes there is error in um, – or maybe not error. Sometimes there's there are issues in in when to recommend occupational therapy, mm-hmm. um, and it could be due to like certain professionals just feeling that like hey like you know maybe the the delay in this infant is not um, so severe that they need therapy. So mm-hmm. um, you know like. Uh, babies get their like well child checkups and um and sometimes like there there are certain delays that aren't so uh obvious that they get let go and um yeah so sometimes there's like uh, an issue with like positioning in an infant and um you know they might have um gross motor delays and um, we unfortunately don't catch it ahead of time. And then mom goes on thinking for six months, like, hey, like, no, I'm doing everything that I can. Um, but she misses the piece and that, like, hey, my baby hates tummy time. <laughs> so we haven't been working on tummy time. We've just been on our back. Um, so then, you know, the next checkup comes and it's like, oh, wait, wow. Like, you, you're looking a little different from the first time that we saw you, right? Like for your mm-hmm. wellness checkup. Um, so sometimes the issue is like we uh, recommended occupational therapy a little um, later than we should have. Um, oh, so that's another issue. And and so like I guess that barrier is just kind of like affected or like it, it 
it occurs due to us not understanding different types of discipline, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and it Mm -hmm. doesn't just go for occupational therapy. It could be like, Hey, like your one-year-old is not making the sounds that, you know, a one-year-old is supposed to be making, you know, like we're not like, or at, at two, like you're not, you don't have like intelligible speech and you're not really communicating with me. You're like using one word to communicate every single need. Um, and sometimes we don't catch that and, and it's really unfortunate. So then early intervention services um, are delayed and then when they happen, you lose services. So um Earlier, we talked about regional center. Regional center, depending on your diagnosis, uh, but most of the time, you don't have it after you're three. Like, you're kind of just let go. And then um, it's up to private insurance to um, provide you the services that you need. Um, And that's the frustrating part is, you know, sometimes it's not, like, affordable after you do get recommended through private insurance um, and and then, I'm thinking yeah. as a I'm thinking as a nurse, like my one of my biggest one of my primary goals as the patient's nurse is to be their advocate. Mm-hmm. And I think that if there was a better understanding of like, oh, I can recognize that the patient is behind and mm-hmm. making bridging that gap to go to the next thought being this is something that occupational therapy could help with. And then really advocating for it, too. I feel like that could be a big help, too, just from the nursing perspective to be able to advocate for the patient that they need the occupational therapy. Because I could see how, oh, maybe that feels like a small thing now because they're so young. But if they get behind here, it starts bringing them behind in other places. And as they get older, the they become behind in bigger things. So. Yeah, just kind of like summarizing what you're saying from the nursing perspective, I think that we could also play a part in advocating for things like that. So, yeah, exactly. I, you know, like that's, I I feel like that's something that I want to do as a therapist too, is to like understand like different specialties. Like there are some things that I don't know about. Like I found that like, as I've been working with different, um, like different families, different children and like, um, like really like, um, different disorders, um, like me not knowing like about specific, um, therapeutic interventions or types of therapies or, you know, different types of specialists could definitely affect the way that, you know, or like the, the, um, uh, my ability to be able to recommend the appropriate things, um, Mm -hmm. as like, we're moving on to like the next part of therapy. Like if I have to ask for another six months of therapy through regional center or something like that, um, or like, um, even just reaching out to different professionals or asking the parent to, you know, go to their doctor and, um, and get more information specifically on like a, you know, a very rare neurological condition, things like that, that can definitely affect care. Um, so it's definitely something, you know, that I want to work on too. Like, how do I understand different disciplines and make the appropriate recommendations? So that's like a super important conversation to have. And with just all the specialties growing and more specialties happening as we have more research and things like that, it's just getting more and more complicated. The care is like you have a different doctor for 
different organs or you have a different yeah. like therapist for different things. So yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. important. So awesome. I feel like you have given us so much knowledge and so much information to take away from this conversation and just um, be better for it. But I wanted to end with, can you talk about maybe one patient experience or one or two that have really stuck out to you and that have really made you feel like, oh, like this is why I do what I do? Um, You know what? I I feel like that's, that's, a, that's an awesome question because sometimes I feel like there's I'm not doing enough. Um, but I do think that like my most challenging cases are probably the most rewarding. And um, like one in particular has to do with, um, and I won't use any names, but like uh, I I feel like this, this family um, was just going through so much like mom. Um, and I deal with a lot of families actually that experienced this, like mom, you know, um, like at delivery, they found out that baby tested positive for meth, um, Mm. and THC. And like, it was very difficult for, you know, these, these parents to like get, you know, stripped away of like their, their experience of being a parent. And, um, you know, like I, honestly, like this one family in particular, um, mom was so like, like she was, she was very against therapy because of her initial experience with, um, what a therapist said when her baby was evaluated. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that like, as a nurse, like, um, you know, about like, um, what babies look like when they're, um, exposed to substance, like Mm -hmm. at birth, like sometimes like they have hypertonia, they very stiff. Um, they don't have certain reflexes that are age appropriate and they're very, very irritable. And this baby was not like that. He actually had lower tone, lower muscle tone. So like floppy baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this is what the OT that evaluated her son, like, described him as like a floppy baby and like that's like Mm. super offensive I think as a parent but then also like that's not what the OT meant you know it's just like Mm -hmm. they're trying to say like this is what like clinically this is what I am seeing during my assessment so this Mm -hmm. mom was like I don't want to like I don't want to work with OT and I was so scared because it was actually my first time working with uh, one month old I was like this is like fresh to me and I was so scared and Except I was a little baby yeah and um you know this mom was like already like on the wrong foot with like medical professionals because mm-hmm. you know she's got her own history of you know whatever was going on in, in her life baby tested positive you know for um like whatever substances she was using and she already wants to like not feel like she did anything wrong and everyone's Mm -hmm. just telling her all the things that are wrong with baby so um basically like everything was like rocky at first until mom started noticing like oh wait like like you're getting him to sit and is that okay is is it okay that I 
do that with my baby? And I'm like, yeah, like get your baby to sit. You're like, we do want you to see like that when you have him upright, he's like got like the stepping reflex and he's interested in like putting his feet on the ground. And so she starts (laughs) doing all these different things. And all of a sudden, like I come back after like, what, like three sessions and baby's looking like, awesome like he like wants to sit up he he's rolling and I'm like whoa like mom what have you been doing and she's like oh I'm just like doing everything um that you asked me to and I notice all the things that you do in therapy um so at that point you know like I'm like okay mom knows exactly you know why I'm here so I started to back off and I was like okay mom like you're gonna do everything let me just verbalize everything that you have to do and I find that the most um, rewarding is when like I don't have Mm -hmm. to physically hold the child like I get to tell mom what to do and mom feels confident that like hey this is how I get my baby to roll by putting his legs, like having his legs cross in this direction. And then she's getting really excited because she's like, hey, this is exactly how my baby's body is supposed to be moving. And look, he's enjoying tummy time and he's not crying. And it's not the therapist doing the work. It's mm-hmm. it's me. And then you start to see like this sense of like, you know, adequacy. Like I am, I'm the mom and I'm the expert. And I am teaching my child exactly what he needs to do. And that's why, you know, I am, you know, like I'm involved in sessions. So like when I get to see that and when I was able to see that, like, hey, mom was able to get baby to roll, sit, and even eventually, like I was with him until like he started walking. And oh, wow. at that point, he wasn't even with a physical therapist. He he did need one. There were some issues with like um, with insurance, of course. Um, but like, you know, like I was part of every, um, milestone it feels like, but I wasn't doing all the work. I got to see mom do it. And, um, that's why it was so rewarding to me. It's not like I was physically making the child do all these things. Like I, you know, made a child's mom confident enough to do those things on her own. And that's how it should be. Like, I'm not here to do all the work. I'm here to make the parent believe that you are the person to teach your child, no matter what your history is. You might have done things in the past, you know, to affect your child's development initially, but you, by all means, are the person to determine, you know, um, what your parenting is going to be like, whether you're going to be that positive influence and milestone development. And like, that was like the most awesome experience for me. Um, And that's what made me love working in pediatrics. That's, that's so beautiful. And I feel like that's a really good example of what we were talking about, where the mom or the parent and you come together and are better together than separate. So that that was just a really beautiful story. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I hope I wasn't rambling too too much. No, it was, <laughs> it was beautiful. Good. Mm-hmm. 